The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So as I've already said uh, today, we find ourselves in the season of Lent, the second Sunday of Lent, and and. Uh, Lent is often seen by Christians as a time of, of preparation for Good Friday and Easter. So it's 40 days of, of preparation. And um, like, you know, we, we prepare for a party, right? We blow up balloons, clean the house, bake a cake, set the table. We prepare ourselves for, for a party. In the same way, Christians throughout the centuries have prepared themselves for Good Friday and Easter, not their houses, but their hearts, prepared their hearts. And this happens not by blowing up balloons and baking cake, but, but by committing ourselves to repentance and renewal. Repentance and renewal is, is the, the rhythm of Lent. As uh, St. Augustine famously put it, and this is why this is important, St. Augustine points out to us, he says, one cannot be in a new life until he repents of the old. We need to do this ongoing work of repentance in order to bring about a greater renewal in ourselves. And as Pastor Ken so so wisely set the stage for us last week, he offered us this invitation, not just to see Lent as 40 days, but to see the greater Lent that we find ourselves in. We have been now almost a year in the wilderness the wilderness of, of COVID restrictions, of an unknown world, of having to uh, be without many of the things that we, we want to be with. This is the invitation. What is God inviting me into now? It's focused on growth. On, it's focused on, on knowing that God, who started a good work in us, will see it through and use the things that happen in our lives and our world to do that. And what's really interesting is that these lectionary readings through this Lenten season are actually going to build on how Pastor Ken set the table for us. Each week, focusing on the gospel readings, but then, you know, complemented by the rest of the the Old Testament and the wisdom literature, we're going to see that the invitation to the way of Jesus is going to force us to put to death some things in us. That's the repentance side. But it's part of a greater vision for life and for our world. And so we start this morning by looking at uh, Peter's encounter with Jesus, where we see that the gospel takes on a different view of winning than what we're, what we're used to. It's both more challenging and far greater than we could ever imagine. And so first, let's look at what, why is it more challenging? I'm a high-challenge person, so let's look at the challenge side first, right? Well, everybody loves to win. Am I right? Who here likes to lose? Let's see a show of hands. I don't see any hands. I don't see anyone. It's because nobody likes to lose. The British, uh, sorry, the British, the American female soccer star once put it like this, Maya Hamm. She said, the person who said winning isn't everything never won anything. Or the uh, British Formula One driver, Damon Hill, said winning is everything. The only one who remembers you coming in second are your wife and your dog. 
Yeah, this is obvious, right? I mean, who signs up for the race to come in second? Who goes through life not wanting to win and achieve their dreams? Winning is achieving. It's what we aim for. And yet, we have to ask ourselves, and Jesus is inviting us to ask ourselves, what does winning look like for us? Let me just pause for a second and think about that. What does winning look like for you? And is it in line with Jesus' view? See, the challenge for us is that Jesus comes in and says to his disciples, he says, don't try too hard to win in the world. In fact, lose by all worldly standards. That's the way to win. Don't work to gain. Work to empty yourself. Now, how can we make sense of this? To Peter and to us, it often doesn't. See, Jesus confronts the disciple Peter with a different view of winning than what Peter wanted to hear. Right? Peter has just, in this passage, previously, right, he had just confesses Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the set-apart one who would rescue Israel from the hand of the evil machine, the evil empire of Rome. This was the one promised in the Old Testament who would come and would set the people of God free, who would defeat evil and injustice by ascending to the throne, winning. But then this, right? Peter hears words from Jesus. The Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed. And then three days rise again. Now, wait a minute. Think about Peter, Peter and his idea of winning. This is not what it looks like. Their agenda had nothing to do with suffering, rejection, and death. That would have been the end of the rebellion. Now, to put ourselves in Peter's shoes a little bit, imagine for a moment you're getting ready to perform a piece of music, right? You it's band class. You've been working hard all semester. You've been practicing and practicing and practicing. You know it off by heart. You could play it with your eyes closed and backwards. And so the moment of the performance comes. You're sitting there in your seat. You're ready to perform. Your instrument is your hand. And the conductor comes up to you and she says to you, detune your instrument. You know, drop it down, whatever. It doesn't matter. Get it out of tune. Oh yeah, and timing, we're not going to play in time. We're just going to play. And the notes, forget about them. Don't play the right notes. Just play the wrong ones. Like, how do you respond to somebody who does this? You say, you're crazy. We've been working hard for this. We've been practicing. We've been rehearsing this. We know what it's going to take for us to achieve this performance. And it's not what you're suggesting. This is how Jesus sounds to Peter. James Edwards is a Bible scholar I was reading this week, and he summed up Jesus' statement like this. He said, when Jesus finally speaks of his messianic status, it is not to claim the common understanding, but to redefine it beyond recognition. Redefine it beyond recognition. Tim Keller adds to it and says, from his mother's knee, Peter had always been told that when the Messiah came, he would defeat evil, ascend to the throne, but here Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the Messiah and the King, but I've not come to live. I've come to die. I'm not here to take power. I'm here to lose power. 
I'm not here to rule, but to serve. Do you see a little bit why Peter responds the way he does? Rebuking Jesus? But now the crazy part for us here, sitting in our pews this morning, or our couches this morning, is that this isn't just Peter. Jesus is challenging each one of us with his words. N.T. Wright reminds us that Jesus wasn't just saying that he would lose. He was inviting the disciples to lose with him. To take the same posture, the same stand, to chase the same thing. And might I remind you that in the Gospels, the writers put the disciples in there for us to see ourselves in them. We are like Peter, being asked to lose, to submit, to get rid of our idea of winning. What does this mean for you? You know, we don't often think of Jesus as a military or political leader, but we do have an idea of what winning looks like. Right? Winning, for many of us, is achieving freedom, autonomy, right? individual freedom, being able to live a life without limits, to the, live a life of your dreams, a life where we can do what we want, hang out with whoever we want, eat whatever we want, travel wherever we want, buy anything we want, a life full of health. You know, don't get me wrong, these are good things, right? Freedom is a good thing. It's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. It, and remember that desiring and claiming individual freedom for ourselves was the first sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden, right? Where they, where they ignored the restraints that God placed on them and looked at the fruit, saw that it was good, and took it for themselves because they wanted it. They wanted to take control of their own destiny. They wanted to define right and wrong on their own terms. And since then, we have had a messed up idea of freedom, of how to live within restraint. We even do this in church. You know, instead of getting to freedom by achieving financial success or relational success, we get it by putting God in our debt. Before you think to yourself, I don't, I don't try to earn God on my side. Think about this. Think about a time that God placed something in your life that was a challenge, that was a test, that pushed your faith, made you question his will, ripped your heart out. Did you get mad at him? Did you get mad at God? Like Peter? When God crossed his agenda, his idea of the good life, his way, we do it too. Whether we identify as a Christian or not, we constantly, tr either we try to ignore Jesus and achieve our idea of winning, or we use God to get there. But it doesn't work. See, we'll never be able to build a life for ourselves big enough to cover our limitations, secure enough to protect us from suffering, strong enough to overcome our own weakness. We will always come up short. And so that is the challenge.
to give it up and see something bigger. What is God inviting you to hand over to him today? This challenge turns into an invitation to something bigger, to something far greater for us that is the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. Because the next part of the story, Jesus tells his disciples and his, the crowd something profound. He says to them, if you want to save your life, if you want to win, you've got to lose it. You've got to give it up. This is the good news that Jesus offers us, is that winning is not actually in gaining things to a better self. It's in finding our true selves in him. It's finding our true selves. The word that Jesus uses for lose yourself is the Greek word psyche. In, in the Greek language, there's two words for life. Zoe, which is the breathing, right? The life in us. And then there's the psyche, the personality, the individuality. What makes you, you. And Jesus says, if you, if you want to find yourself, You've got to give up trying to find yourself on your own. Come to me. How can coming to Jesus get us to gain our true selves? We witnessed it this morning. Because he gives us a new name. A far greater name. A name that redefines our past gives us hope in our present because he's with us and redefines our future, changes our future. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our representative. He came to earth as the new Adam, right? The one who represents us all. And he, in his life, gave up, emptied himself of all of his freedoms, so that he could set us free from ourselves. On the cross, Jesus Christ was lost. He lost himself. He lost his whole self so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can find ourselves being defined by him. See, key words in Jesus' statement on his death is not that he will suffer, is not that he will be rejected, is not that he will die, but that three days later, what will he do, congregation? He will rise again. He blew a hole in death itself. And he invites us to, to walk with him through it. This is the core of the kingdom. We can let ourselves go because we have found something in Jesus far greater than we could ever imagine. Today, Riley got a new name. And I'm proud of it. She's no longer Riley Regling. She's Riley Regling, child of the promise. Heir to the throne in heaven. And this isn't just her, it's us. All of us who've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's our identity. It's it. It's us. And it's... It's far greater than Peter's lame idea of Jesus ascending to the throne of Israel and kicking out the Romans. This is an eternal, whole life vision. A complete renewal and reversal of everything sad in our world. Hope 
attached to all of life. How can we respond to this? Here today, I invite you, bow to your king. Because he's not just a king. He's a king with a cross. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, if, you, if Jesus is the king, you can't make him a means to your end. You never come to a king negotiating. You lay your sword at his feet and say, command me. If you try to negotiate, if you say, I'll obey you if, dot, 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 you aren't recognizing him as a king. But he's a king on a cross. And this means we can submit to him out of love and trust. This means coming to him, not negotiating, but saying, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do. Whatever you send my way, I will accept. Because when someone gives himself, as Jesus did, so utterly for you, how can you not give yourself utterly for him? Take up your cross means to die to self-determination, die to control of your own life, die to using him for your own agenda. Congregation, repentance and renewal. Repent of the ways that we try to use Jesus to get our way. Submit to him. Remember your name as a child of God and receive this freedom, this identity, this life that is at the core of the kingdom that Jesus offers you. It's ours. And it's time for us to celebrate it. Amen? Because we got a feast in front of us. And the bread's getting cold. This is the table of our Lord. It's the feast where we raise a glass to the king, to our king, to our king on a cross, drinking this cup and eating this bread, celebrating together the biggest win that we could ever imagine. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are free to lose ourselves in your loving hand. As we journey through Lent and go through this process of repentance and renewal, Give us your spirit that we may get rid of all the stuff that holds us back from living a life in the complete freedom that comes from a relationship with you, free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free to love and serve you. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.